Welcome to the Fearless Living Now podcast. I'm your host, Patty Lustig, and this podcast is sponsored by the Fearless Living Now community. If you're committed to accessing the courage to live life full out and beyond fear, you are in the right place. Each episode will be focused on an aspect of what it takes to find the courage needed to take action toward the fulfillment of your goals. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Fearless Living Now podcast. Today, I'm so excited. We have one of my favorite people here. Her name is Jen Liddy. She's been a phenomenal coach in my life. She's also become uh, one of my best, best friends. And she has an amazing story to share that will let you know, really, that you can take risks. You can go for it. You can fail. But you can pick yourself back up again. And then do the next thing and learn from your mistake. So that's what you're going to hear in Jen's story. So thank you, Jen, for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so honored. And I love that I'm going to get to see you in person soon. Yes. But it's really fun to see your face right now. <laughs> Absolutely. While we're <laughs> yeah, so I would just like to hear your story about, you know, moving from being a school teacher to a different business and then another business and sort of <laughs> the journey you took and the different aspects that made a difference in your thinking and so that you could take these risks in your life. Yeah. So my story is very zigzaggy, which I think most people's stories are. Absolutely. And for a long time, I beat myself up about that zigzagginess to the point where even my stepmother says to me, and she she kind of laughs about it, but she'll say, you know, it's okay, so you've been doing this thing for about three or four years. When are you going to pivot again? Or when are you going to change? Because <laughs> that is kind of my habit. And I used to beat myself up for it, but I realize it's just part of my particular journey is to get a little bored with something, want to move on to something else, which always requires a pivot. And it can be frustrating if you feel like, oh, why can't I just stay with one thing? But yes. um, so I, I'll, I think, I'll... That, I think our culture, we've been enculturated that way. Not as much the younger people now, but you and That's I growing right. up, you know, we watched our parents keep the same job for 40, 35 years. Yes. Years. That was sort of the norm. And so when we were people that wanted to switch it up and make changes. It was it, weird. Yeah, it was weird. It was um, weird. I remember. So. I'm going to just back up a little bit. And when I was growing up, I knew I was smart-ish, but I never really thought of myself as particularly smart or particularly capable. And my big desire was to go to college and become probably a secretary Mm -hmm. because in my family, nobody else had ever gone to college. And the kinds of jobs that my family had were very hands-on jobs. Like my grandmother was a janitor at an old folks home and my dad was a mechanic and everybody (laughs) I knew just had really hands-on jobs. And I wanted a not hands-on job. And the, at that point in my life, I think the biggest leap I could see 
into not hands-on work was office work. And of yeah. course, I just wasn't going to be smart enough or good enough to get like a job, like be the lawyer. Maybe I could be the lawyer's secretary or assistant. Yeah. That's yes. where I kind of started my journey. And so a lot, a lot of us were stuck in, and even nowadays, being women as opposed to being men, we have a limit at times right. on what we think we can do or what we can make financially. <laughs> for us was so limited too, right? Like, you know, my mother didn't have a job. A lot of the women in my, in in her life didn't have jobs. They were stay-at-home moms, which is its own job, but they weren't working outside the home. And so I really aspired to be an assistant. And back then we called them secretaries, right? Right. My mother was a nurse, so that was a woman's job. And then all I could see was teaching. Right. I couldn't see like, having a business or, no. <laughs> or, you know, having some other job that a man might have, I could be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So for a long time, I did work as assistants. Like that was my, I, I, I'm a really great assistant because I, I am hard. I'm like task oriented. I'm a really great assistant. And then in my late twenties, I got just itchy because I was looking around at my peers who were like, having careers, right? Like they had jobs that were just beyond jobs. They were like things they could grow in. And I always felt, oh, this is kind of where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. So I started to just start explore. And that whole 28-year-old point in your life, there's a lot of exploration that, that happens. You're thinking about what's next. And I was shocked, but I wound up going into education. I got my master's degree in education. And then I became a teacher. And again, I was a really good teacher. And again, I was shocked that I was a good teacher, (laughs) but I loved teaching. And I always say I would still be teaching if it weren't for the grading, the crappy essays and the parents calling me up and going, you know who my husband is. But so again, what happened, I got a little bored. And every time I get a little bored, I know a change is about to happen. And that is super scary because it means okay, you're probably going to need to learn something new. You're going to leave people behind. What if you stink at it? What if you fail at it? And that was, I realized there was a pattern in my life of like feeling itchy, exploring the thing, doing the thing, getting really good at the thing, and then getting bored by the thing. And then the whole cycle starts over. And I remember very clearly in one of these cycles, my stepmother saying to me, so what if it doesn't work out? You can always go back to the old thing. Ah, yes. And that was such a big moment. Like that was like a safety net for me. Like, right. Like, okay. So when I left high school teaching, I went to college teaching, which was its own scary thing. And then I wanted to get out of teaching completely. And I moved into, you know, running a business with two partners, but I always could go back to teaching. So I feel like if we can be a little kind to ourselves, when we get that itch, Remembering you, you can usually go back to the thing you were good at before, but what I find is I never really go back, Mm. but I kind of fold in the lessons I learned in that previous gig or the skills that I have or the magic I've produced. Like I usually fold it into the next thing. And so I feel like life is just one snowball of thing that you learn, you bring it to the next thing. And Sometimes I wish I could just stay still. I just 
I don't know. I feel like, and I meet a lot of people who are the same way. They're, they're very creative. They're interested in life and that makes them interesting. And it's so even for me being a, a coach for 22 years, I've coached many different genres Yes. For the same reason. Yes. There was a whole period of time I only coached single people and couples, but it was all about mm-hmm. relationships. And then there was a period of time where I only coached small business people. And mm-hmm. then another period where I just coached anybody on anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they always say, you've got a niche, you got a niche, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. De- depends on the situation. Yeah. Um, and so when I, when I uh, got to the point where I needed to get out of that business because it wasn't paying the bills and it was just sucking up too much energy and time. I was like, well, what's next? And it's just, it's so scary. It is, you know, it's terrifying to think about, okay, I put so much effort into getting good at this thing here. My teaching life, for example, I got two master's degrees. I have like how many years, 15 years of experience. Like that's a lot of time and effort and money and so sometimes it's hard to let go of a thing because you feel itchy and you want something else. And every single time I have made the leap, it has been worthwhile. Mm, yeah. I mean, a couple of things I hear in what you've said is you need the courage to trust yourself that either you can succeed and if you don't succeed, you can use the skills and talents that you had and you will find a way. Yeah. And you may not you have may have no idea what that's gonna look like. You know, I know when I first got divorced, which was a huge process and a scary, scary thing. My God, especially your, I, your situation, yeah. And I hadn't been working in a couple of years because he convinced me then everything would be better, which it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going out into the work world again and you know, I'm making ten bucks an hour or something ridiculous. You know, it was like really like stepping into the abyss, but quickly I used my skills. I went to the guy, I asked for more money. He gave me a raise right away. I had a dream. I created my dream for the future, and I certainly wasn't going to do what I was doing forever, but I bought a house on a temp Mm -hmm. job. That was Mm -hmm. one of my visions. So I think you can always find the resources you need. You just have to trust yourself. I think that when you're young, this was my scenario. I don't really think I trusted myself. And I really needed the other people in my life, like like I said, my stepmother, to bolster mm-hmm. me and say, you know, they weren't paying for things. It wasn't like I had that situation where people were supporting me. But I did have support from some of the people in my life who were like, you are smart because I didn't think I really believed I was smart and I don't think I believed I was capable. So, you know, searching out those people who believed it for me, especially when I was younger, was really vital because for a lot of my life, I didn't believe it at all. I didn't believe that mm-hmm. I could do it. And I didn't trust myself for so long. So to have even that one person, like you really have to, like when I say she said that to me, I was in my 20s. I'm 52 now, right? Yeah. It, that really has hung on me as an important moment. And so who can we seek out to give us those little moments of affirmations? Right. And that's what happened to to me when I was afraid to drive to California. Right. And my friend said, just trust that what you need will be there when you need it. And I've always had that mantra. Yeah. 
it really can be just one person saying it for you. And then where I am now, every time I get that itch and I want to, you know, burn everything down and start something new, I trust myself because I have my own history to lean back on. I think what's important for me is who can I be that for? Like, who can I say to that person? You know, you really can do this. You (laughs) are so capable. You really, like, it really doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's a gift that experienced people can give to younger people because it's very hard and you don't you don't know what somebody's lived with and you don't know where they've come from i mean i think if anybody meets me now yeah. if i were to tell them what my childhood was like or what i was like as a teenager they they literally wouldn't believe me right because of all yeah. the changes <laughs> i've made so i think that when people are young like that it's so important to even just a little bit of encouragement can really go a long way for people. And I had that with my stepmother. Yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. And now I think, you know, you surround yourself with people, you know, my own age or older or colleagues or friends who are encouragers. And I think it's very important for me to only have people in my life who I try to spend as much time with those people and really spend as little time with the people who are, you know, either controlling or complaining or jealous. Yeah. And that is another, you know, I think that's another lesson of for a long time in my life, I wanted those people to be my cheerleaders. Mm. And I'm at a place now where I don't seek those people out. I don't ask for their permission. I don't ask for their approval or validation. They're just people in your life who can't be your cheerleaders. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's very freeing. You find the ones that can. Exactly. Exactly. And so we're, I think what we're talking today is like the trusting yourself, the trusting your intuition, you know, like when something is itchy and you know it inside, it's like, if you don't take care of it, something else will happen. And this actually, I think there's one little story that I think really identifies this When I was working, I had left teaching and I had started the fitness studio with two business partners and we loved it. And it was really exciting and we were learning a lot and um, it never made us any money. We had enough money to pay our bills and our employees, but we could never pay ourselves. Mm. And eventually after working 60, 70 hours a week, not getting paid, burn out, which is what happened. And I knew... I knew I had to get out. In fact, like in the year, I think it was 2016, I knew I had written in my journal, I need to get out, but I was convinced I could not. I was convinced I was stuck. And so I had that itch. I had that intuition. Yes. Was, and then in um, October of that year, so almost, let's see how many, five months later, four months later, I kept pushing it down and pushing it down. And in October of that year, something so huge happened that it was like, I couldn't not take note of it. I couldn't not take yes, action. Yes, yes. And that was it. like the, an external event forced me to take action. Four or five months after I knew in my body, yes. I should have been taking action. Yes, yes. And I yes. feel like when we don't honor that part of ourselves, that's when I burned out. Like that was what, you know, that was the failure, not leaving, but like not honoring it myself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that often happens. It takes a while and you have to get 
to a level of discomfort where yeah. it's better to take the risk than to not. <laughs> yeah. And I notice it even now, it's almost like it happens more quickly now. I collaborate with a colleague of mine in Amsterdam and she and I are very different in personalities, but we work together very well and we provide two sides of the same coin for people. And we had a great program that we did in the summer. And then we wanted to do it again. And we had the whole vision. We had the whole thing. But like in my body, I just knew there was something not right about it. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And she and I would talk very openly and very clearly. I'm like, I don't know why it's not right, but I don't think it's right. And eventually what I came to understand was for two experts to work as we were working we weren't getting paid enough for what we pr- were providing. Oh, sure. And the program would have had to have been so expensive to make it worth mm-hmm. our while that it just wasn't, it wasn't fair to us. It was a great deal for the people who were in the program, but it wasn't fair to us. And it took me a long time to understand the logic behind it. But before the logic, the intuition had come. Gotcha. And I'm learning to trust it faster and faster as I get older. Yes, yes, yes. And nowadays, how do you deal with your negative inner critic? Oh, God, when is she going to go away? <laughs> when is she going to die off I and don't her up? think she's ever going away. She thinks she's protecting you. I know. I know. Well, I have a therapist. I... <laughs> Love my therapist. We I do tapping with my therapist. She's a tapping, you know, healer. I do a lot of healing modalities. So in terms of like the uh, the thoughts from the inner critic, I think noticing them, I kind of laugh and I think of them. I don't know how much you know or how much anybody in your audience knows about the enneagram, but on the enneagram, I am a one. And the one is the reformer or the perfectionist. The, 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 the features uh, of being a one mean I can walk into a room and see anything that's wrong or out of place and my brain wants to fix it. And so my inner critic is very noisy and always kind of comes from what other people could perceive as critical. And my brain is like, no, no, no you're helping them by showing them what's wrong. <laughs> I have come to chuckle at her to laugh at those qualities of myself because she can't help it. She looks at a menu and she sees like, oh, they've made a mistake and there's, this is spelled wrong or this yes, is blown. Yes. It's being critical in a helpful way. Supposedly I'm putting air quotes around that, but I, it, the inner critic also, you know, she tells me everything I've done wrong and how much I didn't do and what I didn't accomplish. Right. Honestly, sometimes I just have to talk to myself. This is what a coach of mine taught me. She, I just talked to myself. And I am very clear with her. And I say, Jen, it is fine. You have done enough work today. You may rest now. And I Fantastic. really have to speak to her yes. in the third person kind of stringently because she doesn't reply to kindness. <laughs> she replies it. to me being, <laughs> Jen, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I uh, love about what you're sharing is the awareness that you have. Mm. And so I think one of the first steps for some people is even becoming aware of their inner critic. Oh, yeah. You know, if you begin with, like I started the whole series with, you got to know what your vision is. 
Yeah. Because you have to have a vision that's big enough to make you want to go past the fear, mm-hmm. go past the inner critic. And so once you have that vision, then having a, an awareness of when your inner critic is hopping in there to try to protect you, tamp things down, yeah. that's the beginning. And then beginning to use different modalities to impact that, like just saying mm-hmm. something else, creating a different a belief. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you'd be amazed that I, I've been studying this stuff for years and doing it, but there's times when I've been going into a horrible situation. So I just make up some weird belief that seems completely <laughs> through, completely like this is ridiculous. And then I'll be amazed like how the energy shifts and that yeah. something is different. And you got to just practice that and play with it to see. I remember somebody early on in my personal development work was talking about the idea that your thoughts are, you know, not real. Your thoughts are just thoughts. You are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are not your identity. And that was very hard for me because once I learned that I was smart, I did not want to let go. Uh, of my yeah. Yeah. They're so dear to me and they're so much wrapped up in who I am. And so the more I learned about the self-development world, this idea that your thoughts are, you know, not real was, I had to sink <laughs> my teeth into it. And I remember saying, but if they're not real and they're just made up, how do I know what to believe? And she's like, and so we kind of unpacked some of the lies that my brain oh, told yes. with some evidence behind why they were lies. She's like, so if you've been believing these lies all of these years, what the hell could it possibly hurt to believe some different lies if you're going to tell yourself they're lies that were helpful to you. Kind of like what you said when you walk into a situation and you make up a story, like what the hell does it matter what you think if it's going to help you and it's not going to harm anybody else? And that really helped me a lot unattach from my thoughts. Yeah. I love my thoughts. I love my brain. Like I did not want to give it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fabulous. Well, would you like to tell everyone what you do in life now and how they could contact you if they're interested? Sure. So basically, at this point, I've mashed up all the things that I'm good at, which is helping people get really clear on their messaging and their copy so that in their marketing content, they sound really great and people want to work with them. And I also have this other secret specialty of not just the language stuff, but I can help you put it into a system that works for you. Mm -hmm. So how to know what to say in a way that sounds like you and feels good to you in a way, in a system that gets it out of your brain and into the world. So basically I help people like leverage their ideas and turn them into words that make money for their business. Mm. And I will tell you, she is an expert at that. After I started working with her, I started making more money than I'd ever made before. And she's just wonderful to work with. So if you have a business or you start a business, I highly recommend don't spend your money anywhere else, but talk to Jen Liddy first. Oh, thanks, Patty. (laughs) She'll make the difference. So how do we reach you? Yeah, you can go to jenliddy.com. I'm a one end Jen, so it's J-E-N-L-I-D-D-Y.com. But I'm pretty much, if you just Google my name, you're going to find something that will be useful for you. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Patty. Thank you so much for taking your time to give us some pearls of wisdom. 
I hope they were useful. <laughs> and thanks for the opportunity to share it. And also congratulations on launching your podcast. Yeah. People need to live more yeah. fearless. You're welcome. Them. So thank you everyone for listening. Remember, you can go to my website, www.fearlesslivingnow.com. Get some free resources, some low-cost resources, and contact me if you want more individualized attention. And I will talk to you soon. Good day for now, my friends. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit fearlesslivingnow.com. Join the Fearless Living Now Facebook group and subscribe to the weekly podcast. This will give you more encouragement and inspiration. Feel free to reach out to me at patty at fearlesslivingnow.com or 612-363-7605 if you need anything.